0: the following message is from the audio ministry of coastal community church we trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging now here's pastor chris rollins all right coastal if you will make your way back to your seat and have a seat go tigers baby Woo! sorry mark that was a little loud i didn't mean to to scream into the microphone but uh, wow what a great uh, great game you know I go into every season believing that we're gonna be the national champions it just so happens that we've done it the last two out of three years so uh, there you go and, and I believe we're gonna win every game and we just happen to do that this year 15 and0 what a great game and yes I've already watched the great game uh, two more times <laughs> it just gets better and better knowing that Alabama doesn't even score a point in the whole second half almost three quarters Woo! that's right baby. All you haters, y'all just, I'm already missing college football already, so we're just going to put this right up here in a place of prominence this morning. Anyway, um, hey, welcome to Coastal. See, we welcome everyone here, though. I want you to know that uh, all sinners are welcome, all you Carolina fans, Georgia fans. Uh, Alabama fans, welcome to Coastal. Hey, if you are watching us online, uh, good morning as well. We're glad that you're here. Uh, last week, man, what an amazing service. Uh, I mean, I feel like all you guys basically said, hey, one of our uh, uh, you know New Year's resolutions is to get my butt in church, and y'all were all here last week. I think next year we're going to do like a little, uh, we're going to get everybody, just like you go to the gym in the new year and take gym selfies, we're going to have church selfies where everybody's like, woo, I'm in church, you know. Uh, but anyway, we had a great day last week as we uh, kicked off uh, this new season in the beginning. Um, In fact, I want to begin this morning uh, by giving you a little quiz, a little quiz, just to see how well you know uh, some of the major events that have taken place uh, in the early chapters of Genesis. So get your thinking caps on. Here we go. Question number one, what excuse did Adam give his children as to why he no longer lived in Eden? Answer, your mother ate us out of house and home. Okay? (laughs) Question, Uh, what is one of the first things that Adam and Eve did after they were kicked out? Answer, they raised Cain. Okay, I have to think about that one. Okay, Uh, this one's a little more difficult, a little tricky. Uh, Where is the first baseball game mentioned in the Bible? The first baseball game. Think about that for a second. Answer, in the beginning... Got it. In the big inning, Eve stole first, Adam stole second, and Cain struck out Abel. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, a little Genesis humor there this morning. Um, Anybody know what this is? That's right. It's a slinky. This is the original, like, old-school toy, right? Uh, It was actually first introduced in uh, 1945, and it was uh, invented by a man uh, by the name of Richard James, uh, Richard was a marine engineer. He's making about 50 bucks a week, uh, working in a shipyard uh, in Philadelphia. And uh, a coil. The story goes that a coil popped loose, and uh, it kind of ran uh, across the floor. And uh, Richard, you know, said to himself, "Man, that'd make a great toy." So him and his wife invested about 500 bucks, and they invented the slinky, and it was first sold at a Gimbel's department store in Philadelphia in 1945, and he has since become a bazillionaire, him and his family. So, uh, but the idea of a slinky is that a slinky only works in which direction? It's gravity, right? So it only works where? Down. That's right. It only works Down. And uh, that's really what I want us to look at today: uh, this downward spiral uh, of sin that's introduced um, through Adam and Eve here in the first uh, few chapters of Genesis. And um, we're going to answer some questions that you might have today, uh, as it relates to you know why this world that we live in is so uh, evil and wicked. Uh, what's our response? And uh, last week, I had a lot of questions, a lot of feedback from last week's uh, sermon about creation. And, you know, just keep in mind that this, you know, this series really is an overview, and I got like, you know, 35, 40 minutes, uh, you know, to, to give a message. But um, I'd love to, you know, have more conversations with, with you. And uh, I'd highly recommend uh, The Case for the Creator uh, by Lee Strobel. Great book. you ought to pick that one up. Um, but last week, if you were here, we talked about the doctrine of creation. And how God created everything. And that we as human beings, we are the crown of his creation. And that God's ultimate desire, his big dream, uh, was that we would experience community. Uh, Remember, we were created for community with him and with one another. So we pick up where we left off last week with Adam and Eve. Now, right now they've got everything they could ever want, everything they could ever need. They're literally living in paradise. Now, what happens next is both foolish and frightening just how quickly they fall and how swiftly their sin spirals downward. Follow along as I read Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, imagine for a second that you're in the garden, and for the sake of the uh, argument today, let's assume that there were like 10,000 trees in the garden. And if that's the case, it's basically as if Adam was given 9,999 trees to enjoy. Okay? Think about it. He could have all the oranges, grapefruits, coconuts, figs, peaches, apples, anything he wanted, as much as he wanted, whenever he wanted. He was basically just told to avoid one tree that would bring about death. Now, one question you might ask is why? You know, why did God do that? You know, doesn't God want us to know the difference between good and evil? I think one idea behind this command is that in eating from the tree, they would be saying, okay, God, we can decide now. You know, we can decide what's good and evil without you, apart from you. We don't need you anymore. We can be our own God. And so God in this move is allowing us, He's allowing man to choose this freedom of choice to be in community with God or to reject Him. He's giving us this freedom of choice to decide whether or not we want to be in fellowship with Him or are we going to reject Him. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so here, right off the bat, we're introduced to the enemy, okay, Satan. Now, he's not called Satan in the story, but we read later in the New Testament in Revelation that the serpent is Satan. Now, the word crafty there is a very interesting word. It means subtle, cunning. And that's what I want to spend part of our time doing today. I want us to look at some of the subtle ways that Satan tries to get us to sin. And what I think and what I hope that you're going to discover today is that his ways haven't changed. Okay, in all these years, he's still using the exact same tactics to try to get us to sin. And I hope it will speak into your life today. So here's tactic number one. Satan appears unexpectedly, unexpectedly. Now here's Eve. What is she doing? She's just, you know, out and about. She's just enjoying the, the beauty and the wonder of paradise. And then suddenly, she's ambushed by the evil one. And what I want you to catch this morning is that that is usually the way it works. You know, when everything seems as though it's going great in your life, guess what? Here's the principle. Guess what? You better watch out. Because temptation comes when you least expect it. I mean, think about it. She's not out looking for Satan. But guess what? He was looking for her. And I'm telling you something. You need to hear this loud and clear today. He is looking for you. He's looking for your children, your family. In fact, 1 Peter 5.8 in the New Testament says this, Be self-controlled and alert. And he's talking to believers here, talking to you and me. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking to devour you, your, your spouse, your family, your marriage, your children. He, he comes unexpectedly. And when you think everything is going fine, you better be aware. Tactic number two, Satan twists the truth. He twists the truth. Notice the second uh, half of verse one. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now what's he doing? Okay, right away, Satan is misquoting God. He, He is twisting the truth. God never said that they couldn't eat from any tree. He said, in fact, they could eat from every tree except for one. He's trying to get Eve to doubt the goodness of God. He's trying to get Eve to think, you know, I, I don't think I can trust God anymore. I, I don't think I can trust that God has got my best interest at heart. Because if I follow God, if I obey Him fully and completely, you know what? I'm going to miss out on something. I'm going to miss out on something good. And what I'm saying is that what we, what we got to see today is that that is exactly how temptation works. Satan is always trying to get you and I To doubt the goodness of God. And and to get us to think, hey, I'm missing out on something. And he will take the word and he will twist it. Tactic number three. Satan wants us to see God as more severe than, than what he really is more severe. In verse 2, Eve's now making God out to be really, really restrictive. She corrects the serpent first by saying, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But then she adds, we're not even to touch the tree in the middle of the garden. Now, what's happening there? Listen, nowhere in the Bible, actually, do we see that God said that. Now, it's possible he might have said that to them privately, but what I'm saying is that in the word, it never says that. I think it's possible she's making God a little more severe, and I think we do that to God all the time. You know, when we think that God's commands, his word, is, you know, they're unreasonable, we, you know, we, we do that so that our disobedience becomes a little more justified. Tactic number four Satan attacks God's judgment. God says, if you do this, you know, let's just let's, let's clarify here. If you do this, you will certainly die. And then in verse 4, Satan says what? You won't surely die. I think, I think the reason the evil one does this is that he wants us to believe that there are no consequences for our disobedience. There's no consequence for our sin. And we, we can do whatever we want, we can get away with it. Because after all, think about it. I mean, if nobody will know, and no one will ever find out about it, and if you and I are never going to be held accountable, and there's no consequences, you know, what does it matter? Why not do whatever you want to do? And I'm telling you, Satan does the exact same thing today, doesn't he? Tactic number five. He attacks our vulnerable spots and he isolates us. Let me ask you a question. Who was the command given to originally uh, concerning the forbidden fruit? Who was the command given to? It was given to Adam first. Now, that means that Eve must have gotten her information secondhand. Let me ask the women here among us a couple of questions, okay? (laughs) You know where I'm going. How many of you have ever known a man to have any kind of communication difficulties or, or to not give you a fully detailed account of conversations. By the way, if you're a married couple in here, you, you need to sign up for our marriage conference. That was a great segue right there, wasn't it? Sign up for our marriage conference. All the information is right there in, the, uh, um, in your bulletin, a little insert there. Uh, you can sign up online. Um, listen, I remember uh, coming home from taking our kids to the dentist. And uh, we used to go to the um, MUSC uh, dental school, and uh, so th- we'd meet with like a, a main person, a, you know, a teaching uh, dentist, and then there'd be others, and and it was kind of a long process, but it was definitely worth it financially. But uh, I, I can remember coming home, you know, from those visits, I'd be the one that would take the kids typically, and Janet would say, "Well, you know, what did the dentist have to say?" And I'd go. They got teeth, I paid the bill, case closed. I mean, like, you know, what else do you need to know, honey? You know, they got teeth, everything's fine. And and that's kind of the way men are, right? Well, well, notice that while Satan's dealing with her, dealing with Eve in this temptation, she doesn't consult Adam, she doesn't involve Adam, she doesn't ask for any help from God, nothing. And, And my point is, when we play a When we play around with temptation and we we do it alone, we do it in isolation, we're not with the support of our Christian brothers and and, and sisters, guess what? Man, you're in big trouble. And and you have already started down this downward spiral. Because that's what Satan tries to do. He he wants to, to isolate you. Number six... He also wants us just to to fixate on sin. Now, if you read Genesis 3, 6, you get this picture of someone who's obsessed with this. Listen to what it says. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, I mean, you could just see it. Man, she's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. She took some and she ate it. In fact, the word there, saw, it means to draw near. And and, and you get the sense that, you know, as she gets closer and she moves in closely to kind of take a look and and admire uh, this forbidden fruit, that it becomes all that she can think about, all that she focuses on. And she starts thinking, man, I'm going to miss out on something, you know, if I don't get this thing. And the closer she gets, the better it looks. Let me ask you, you ever heard the hiss of Satan in your ear? The hiss of the serpent. If you'll listen closely, you'll hear things like, come on, come on, do it, go ahead. You know, God's just trying to, man, He's just trying to keep you from having fun. Man, look around you. Everybody else is doing it. It, It'll satisfy that that deep hunger that you've been feeling. It'll it'll fill that, that void in your heart. Man, you'll look good. You'll be smart. It'll feel great. You'll get some notoriety. Nobody will ever know. I mean, come on. You are too smart to get caught. And if you try just a little bit, you can always justify your disobedience. I know I should keep my marriage vow, but I want to be happy. I mean, after all, come on, God God wants me to be happy, right? Okay, come on, I know it says that in in the Bible, but you know, this little thing, this just a little issue. It's not that big of a deal. Listen, when, when you hear yourself saying, well, I know what God says, but you are already on that down, downward spiral. Number seven, Satan always entices us to invite others. He entices us to invite others. That's the way it works, right? That's a, that saying is you know, around for a reason. Sin loves company. You know, notice the second half of verse 6. It says, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. We always feel better when we get somebody to join in with us, don't we? We do. You know, doesn't it strike you that the husband, Adam, he's a little passive here, isn't he? Not much of a leader, is he? In fact, sin's kind of like that. You know, if if you're a parent, you've heard this a thousand times if you've heard it once. You, You ask a kid why they're doing something foolish or why they're doing something destructive, you will get this answer over and over and over. Here it is. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, how many times have you heard that, right? You know, why did you do that? What were you thinking? I don't know. You know, everybody else was doing it. I mean, you you almost get the impression that if you were to ask Adam, Adam, why? I mean, this whole garden, everything is yours, everything to eat. God told you, Adam, Adam, why did you eat? You almost get the idea. Adam's going to go, I don't know. And yet sin, this, this downward spiral, it typically involves that kind of That kind of thinking, that that kind of faulty, stupid thinking. Now, let me make another observation before we talk about some of the consequences. And this is important. Listen, I I honestly don't think that Adam and Eve got up that dreadful day and said, you know what, I think I'll sin today. I think I'm going to ruin it for all humanity. Uh Uh-uh. I think it was probably a series of small steps, small decisions, small compromises in the wrong direction that led to their fall. You know what that tells me? That we need to stop minimizing the magnitude of everyday choices. Again, it's those small things done consistently over time that make a huge impact. We've got to stop minimizing the magnitude of the little things that you think nobody else can see, nobody else will ever know. Because guess what? No matter what you think, it is pulling you down, this downward spiral that you're going to have a hard time getting off of. So, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to his word. Stay close to his people because this is serious stuff. And, and we're going to see uh, just how serious it, it, it is. And In fact, for a, for a little bit here, I want us to look at some of the consequences that we see here. Beginning in verse 7, listen to this. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So first of all here, right off the bat, this image of God that they are created in, that it, it's marred, it's scarred. You know, that their eyes have made open. And that's what they thought the serpent, the serpent promised. But what a nightmare they saw. That this beauty of the image of God that they were created in, that we talked about last week. What, what, what's happened? It's been twisted. It's been marred. And now shame has filled their hearts. I mean, here's this man and woman who'd never known shame before. They look at each other, and now what do they do? They want to hide. They want to cover themselves. They're ashamed. Alienation. They're they're alienated now. Alienated from themselves, from each other, from their work, from creation. But most importantly now, they are alienated from God. Previously, we read how they were walking with God, and now what do they do? They try to run away from God. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Fear. Fear. You know, in verse 9, God asked Adam this, where are you? Listen, God knows where they are. God knows where they are. He knows where you are. And yet, he's asking for the same reason he asked you today when he's calling you home, wondering where you are and why you've wandered away. He's just giving you an opportunity, don't you see, to come home, to come clean, to confess. And I'm telling you today, God is asking some of you that same question. Where are you? Where are you? He knows where you are. He just wants you to respond. But Adam answers in verse 10, I heard you in the garden and I was what? What does it say? I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. It's the very first time that fear is introduced in the Bible. And Adam thinks his problem is his nakedness. And he doesn't confess that he's disobeyed. We do the same thing. We focus on the consequences of our sin and not the cause. And not God whom we've sinned against. Concealing. Concealing. When we sin, this is just like us. You know, we, uh, we want to keep it in secret. We want to hide you know, instead of reaching out to God, instead of reaching out to other people for help, we do the same thing. And then at the end of verse 10, Adam adds, so I hid. Now, isn't that crazy? I mean, isn't that crazy to think that you can actually do that, that you can hide from God? And yet I'm telling you, man, this is so applicable to today because how many times do we do the same thing? We, we've walked away from God, we've walked away from his people, the church, and, and we're, we're in hiding we don't want anybody to know what's going on. We don't want to ask. We don't want anybody to ask. We're in hiding. And then typically that leads to this next one here blaming. Blaming. After God asked Adam this very direct question about whether he had eaten from the tree that he was commanded not to eat from, Adam very carefully reflects. On the, uh, on the importance of taking personal responsibility for his actions, and he summons all the courage he can in verse 12, and he blames his wife. He blames his wife. Actually, he blames his wife and God. He does. Listen to this. He says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit uh, from the tree, and I ate it. Man, isn't that crazy? It's almost as if Adam is saying to God, God, well, I really don't have responsibility for this. Eve's to blame. You know, and then the fruit just somehow ended up in my hand, and mysteriously, it kind of ended up in my mouth, and I ate it. Now, fortunately for us, that's the very last time in history that married couples blame each other, right? Yeah. And then Eve, she doesn't own up to it either. She blames the serpent. The devil made me do it. Verse 13, she says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Man, I'm telling you, that's just the way we are. We'd rather blame anyone or anything for the consequences of our own sin. Then they're cursed. The serpent is cursed in verses 14 and 15. And now Adam and Eve face a new reality that they've never experienced before, pain. The woman is told that she's going to face pain in childbirth. Thank you, Eve, right, all you women. Um, The man is told he's going to face pain in work. We're also told that we're going to face relational pain, and it's going to grow as a consequence of all these things we've already listed. And then think about this, the oneness and the community that they had experienced in chapter uh, 2, it's now completely shattered in chapter 3. And the harmony and the oneness has been replaced with grudges and blaming and fighting. And then they're cast out. They're cast out verse 23, the Bible says that God banished them from the garden. and 24, it adds that he drives them out and he places a guard at Eden so they can never get back in. For now. We'll hear about that later. You know, being cast out is all about the loss of community. Losing what they once had with God. And then the final consequence is, is death. Physical death spiritual death has entered humanity. God said it. He said in Genesis 2.17 that disobedience would result in death. In the New Testament, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, here's a very important truth that I want you to catch today. When Adam sinned, you sinned. I sinned. Romans 5.12 says that very thing. Listen to this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for, who sinned? Everyone. For everyone sinned. Now again, this is is a little heavy today, okay? But I want to stretch you a little bit. you got to get this. This is what theologians refer to as the fall of man. And because of what Adam did, you and I deserve to die. It's as though Adam were the driver of the bus of humanity. And the result was when he drove off the cliff, we all went down in flames with him. We sin because we are sinners. We need help because we are doomed in and of ourselves, and our sin has caused us to be separated from God. Not only do we do bad things, but our thoughts and the thoughts of the entire world and everyone in it all throughout history, we've all been stained by sin. And there's no hope. There's no hope for us or for the world apart, apart from Christ. We carry the stain of Adam and Eve's sin with us today. Now, people talk today about believing in the basic goodness of human beings. You hear that a lot today. I want to say this. As a Christian, we believe that it is good that God made us. We believe, I mean, I believe that we matter to God. I believe that we are made in His image. But we also believe that human beings are not simply you know, neutral moral agents who could always choose to do good if we would just kind of work it up within ourselves and just try hard enough. No. The Christian biblical understanding of human nature is this. We are sinful. And therefore, we are capable of great, great evil. In the fall, Something happened for all time in human nature. And that's something that's called depravity. And it, it's as if it infected all of us. You see, we all have a propensity toward sin. Let me ask you a question. How else in the world can you explain slavery? How in the world can you explain the Holocaust? How, how, how can you fathom, how can you try to explain Columbine, Orlando, Emanuel AME here in Charleston, or countless others? Now, you'll hear things like, well, you know, it's... um." It's mental illness. Um, it, it's got to be antidepressants. Uh, it, it's got to do with our upbringing. It's got to be with our, our childhood. It's got to do with our, our lack of a- education. That's the answer. It's about gun control. It's about video games that people play. I got a theory. It's a simple one. You know what it is? It's the sinful nature of man. You know, I can remember when our... Uh, kids were just toddlers i mean i mean just really really young i never had to teach them to say no (laughs) you know i never had to teach them to smack another kid i never had to teach them that and and they would do something just so seemingly you know because you look at them you think oh they're just they're just perfect they're just beautiful and then they would do something and janet would say what what's that about and i was like honey i got an answer they're sinful (laughs) they are It's the sinful nature of man. And this is what happens when people don't know Jesus. This is exactly what happens when sin manifests itself inside of a person and expresses itself through sometimes the most horrid acts of violence that you could ever imagine. Listen, according to the Bible, we live in a fallen world. Sin is real, sin is nasty, and the potential for evil is inside every human being. And it is limitless. So what's our answer? What's the response to that dilemma? You know what, guys? I'm telling you something, man. Man. This, this is not meant to be cliche because I believe it and it is real. The answer is Jesus. It is. Romans 5.17, listen to this. The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us, but but all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift, of righteousness, will live, listen to this, you ready, in triumph over sin and death through now this one man, Jesus Christ. Listen, he is the answer. People need Jesus. We are sinful in need of a Savior, and the good news is that one has been provided. His name is Jesus. It's Jesus, and and. You know, it's as clear to me as as anything in my life. It is time for us. It is time for the church to rise up and say, you know what? We have the answer to this world. It's not politics. It's not another person. It's not another program. It's, 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 It's Christ. Jesus is the answer to the world. And so therefore, we've got to get busy reaching out to the world, loving, serving, sharing, inviting. He is the hope of all humanity. Romans 6:23 says this, listen, for the wages of sin is what? death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the answer. We're going to talk some more about it next Sunday as we move on through chapters 3 through 11. And I know this is kind of deep stuff and heady stuff, but guys, listen, have you answered that dilemma in your own life? Because I'm telling you, left to yourself, there's nothing you can do. You know, you, you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You can try to pull yourself up from your bootstraps, but the standard is God, the holiness of God. And compared to Him, we all fall short. We're all sinful. You, you can't, you know, just you know, good yourself enough It's Jesus. He makes you right before God. He gives you eternal life. Have you solved that dilemma in your own life? You can do it today. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you received that gift? Because it's there. It is a free gift, but you've got to receive it. Have you? You can today. It is as beautiful and yet as simple as a prayer. And I'd like to step you through it. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today, I thank you for your word. Father, there is uh, no doubt that Satan, the serpent, he is alive and well. And he is slinking and all about like like a a roaring lion waiting to devour, waiting to destroy our families, our marriages, our integrity, our reputation, all of it. But Father, there is an answer. You know, I, I thank you that we have this this freedom of choice. You know, that we get to choose whether or not we're going to uh, love you and turn toward community. Left to ourselves, we eventually all choose to go our own way. But even in that, you provide a way out. His name is Jesus. Listen, if you are here today and you are ready to to take care of this, this dilemma that we all find ourselves in, this depravity, this sinful nature. Listen, cry out to God. He is still wanting you to come home. He is still reaching out to you. That's why you're here. You're not here by accident. Just pour your heart out to Him right here and right now and say, dear Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I have blown it. I've gone my own way, I've tried to hide, conceal, blame, but today, Father, I admit all that and I want to come home. I believe, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he is the answer to my sin. I believe that my sin put him on that cross, that he paid the penalty of my sin. But death and sin could not contain him. He rose from the dead, and he is alive. And God, as much as I know how, as much as I understand, I believe that, and I put my faith and my trust in him, not myself, not my goodness, but in him and what he did for me. And now, God, I just want to follow Jesus. I want to become, day by day, a little bit more, like you see me now as righteous, forgiven, brand new, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus did for me and my faith in him. Thank you, Father. And Father, for those of us who have already placed our faith in Christ, may we run to you. May we be aware of the schemes of Satan and may We get closer and closer to you. Stay close to your word. Stay close to believers and and be aware of the the tragic consequences of our sin. And Father, may we share the hope of the good news with this, this hurting world. That the answer really is Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal, or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.